studying for finals, walks in the door about 7.15 in the evening and he's exhausted. He's about to take off his shoes and sit down on the couch to relax a little bit. And he hears from the other room, his father calls out, Shmuley, did you take out the garbage yet? Uh, no, Dad, I didn't take it out yet. Please take out the garbage. Okay. Goes outside, takes out the garbage. It was Wednesday night. They had to take the boxes also for recycling. Comes back in. Shmuley, I'm a little bit thirsty. Can you grab me, uh, grab me a water, please? Okay. Gets a water. Um, maybe just put some ice in there as well. Okay. Goes back to the freezer, puts some ice in there, hands the water to his father. Here, Tati. His father takes the glass from Shmuley, looks at him. It doesn't look like you're so happy. I'm just exhausted. Takes the cold water and splashes it in his face. When you are machabed me, you do so besimcha. Besimcha betuv levav. If, if we were a fly in the wall analyzing this uh, interaction between father and son, on a scale of 1 to 10, how unhealthy was that? <laughs> I think we'd venture to say that was pretty unhealthy. You got to feel bad for Shmuley. He sounds like a nice, normal kid. He's not complaining. He's not trying to procrastinate. He's doing exactly what his father said. And uh, he wasn't smiling, he wasn't besimcha, and therefore he's deserving of punishment. Doesn't sound like a very loving, caring, understanding father. Now, it, it's clear where we're getting at. To view Hashem in a similar way is obviously inaccurate. Kaddish Baruch Hu is a vinu Merachim Aleinu, who has compassion and love for us more than we could ever imagine. If hypothetically we were doing everything we were obligated to do, it's just we were lacking the joy in the mitzvah, in the, in the chiyuv, to be held responsible or to be held accountable in a harsh way, that doesn't sound very healthy. We're trying our hardest, we're doing Everything, we're following instructions. Okay, I should try to be more besimcha. But if I'm not, am I deserving of, of punishment? We would not think so. Now the Ramban tells us, we know that we have two parshios in the Torah, parshas b'chokosai, and then later on in the Varim, parshas kisavo, where the Torah delineates different calamities and tragedies that will befall the Jewish people. Why do we need two of these parshios? So the Ramban explains that the Chukosai is Be'ikr, it's mainly focused on all of the, the Chorbin of the Bayis Rishon, the destruction of the first temple. And then the Tochacha that we have in Kisavo, that's referring to the Chorbin Bayisheni, the destruction of the second base of Migdash and the Gullus that we find ourselves in presently. 
let's jump to Kisavo for a moment, where the Pasuk tells us, that all of these tragedies will befall you. Because you do not listen to the, the voice of Hashem who commanded you in doing the mitzvot. So this sounds very straightforward. These things will happen as a consequence, as a result of not maintaining our end of the deal, of not doing the mitzvot. And this will be to you an os and a mofes, a sign and a proof. A proof to what? So the Nitziv and others explain, this will be an indication that us keeping our end of the deal, being engaged in mitzvot, trying to live a Torah lifestyle, making sure that we're transmitting this truth to our children, we'll see throughout history that when there's a sense of, of disconnect from that, from that achrayas, from that responsibility, there will be tragedy. When there's more of a devakis, when there's more of a real connection and commitment to that responsibility, then we won't have that same suffering. That's how the Nitziv understands this Pasuk. And then we have the famous Tachas Asher Lavavarat Hashem Lokacha Besimcha Ubatuv Levav Meirov Kol. Tachas usually means because. Because you did not serve Hashem with joy and gladness of the heart, Meirov Kol, when everything was good. When you were living this reality of blessing, you didn't serve Hashem Besimcha. The Rebbeinu Bachaya says it the clearest that the Pasuk is not saying you didn't do the mitzvah. You were ignoring and neglecting and, and just uh, forgetting about the Ratzon Hashem. That's not what it's saying. But rather, Ba'avdu Hashem Yisborach, when we did our Avodas Hashem, Velohoisa Avoda Besimcha, that Avoda was not with joy, because we have an obligation to feel the simcha when we're engaging in mitzvos, and the simcha itself is actually a mitzvah besides the mitzvah we're doing. So, we did everything we were commanded to do, but we were lacking the element of joy. So this is troubling. It's troubling philosophically because this sounds too close to the, the muscle we created of the unhealthy relationship between father and son. I'm doing everything you told me to do, Tati. Why are you destroying me? <laughs> What's going on? So philosophically, it's problematic. It's also strange that we have many different places in Shas where reasons are given for the destruction of both the first base of Megdash and the second base of Megdash. And we know some of the classics, some of the famous examples that are spoken about in the Gemara in Yuma and the Gemara in Bamitzia and elsewhere. The base of Megdash was destroyed because we didn't 
We didn't go lifnim Yeshura Sadin. The Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, referring to the first Beis HaMikdash, because of the three cardinal sins. The second Beis HaMikdash was because Sinas Chinam, baseless hatred, and that's why we're in Gullus today. The Beis HaMikdash was destroyed because we didn't give each other tochacha, we didn't care about each other, to the point where we felt the need to correct someone who was going astray. Where in Shas do we find this reason that the Pasuk itself gives? The second Beis HaMikdash, again according to the Ramban, in Kisavo, this Tochacha is talking about the second Beis HaMikdash. The second Beis HaMikdash was destroyed because the Jewish people were not serving Hashem with joy. It doesn't say that anywhere. So it's strange, not only philosophically, how can a lack of simcha lead to calamity and tragedy and suffering, but it's also strange that when the Gemara speaks about reasons for the destruction, for the Chorban, this Pusik isn't referenced. Why is it left out? And then if you just go to Psukim earlier, like we read together, the flow of Psukim, it sounds like two Psukim earlier, these things will happen to you, because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. This is almost a natural consequence of totally veering off the Derech Hashem and, and not doing the mitzvos. These things will happen. But it's not just because you were lacking joy, it's because you were totally abandoning the Torah lifestyle. That's what the Pasuk itself seems to say to Psukim previously. So then how can it come along now? Because you weren't doing it besimcha. We weren't doing it at all. So here are some problems we have to address. What I found very fascinating is that in this Rabbeinu Bachaya, he goes on to give an example of lacking joy or enthusiasm in a mitzvah. Right, he first explains what the Pasuk is teaching us, that we were doing everything we were supposed to do, we were just lacking the, the joy. Then in the second paragraph here in source number three, rus, and we find this as well, famous Chazal, if Ruvain would have been aware that as he was intending to save Yosef, Hashem was recording this in the Torah, that that Ruvain heard the plot, the strategy of the brothers, and he had in mind to save Yosef, if he would have been aware at that time that Hashem was writing these words down, right there and then he would have had the courage to go straight over to the brothers, grab Yosef, throw him on his shoulders, and bring him back home to Tati. If Aaron would have known that as he was about to meet his brother and he had a feeling of joy, he was happy, he wasn't jealous for his brother's position, if he would have been aware that Hashem was writing 
that he was going v'somach belibo, not only would he have gone and, and, and given his brother a hug, he would have been dancing and singing and playing the tambourine. And last it says, Ilu haya yodeya boez. If Boaz would have known, Shekodesh Baruch Hu Machtev that Hashem was writing as he was preparing food for Rus, that Hashem was writing down this chesed, he would have made a lavish feast. He would have went all out. This is the example that the Rabbeinu Bahaya shares with us. Great personalities, right? Gedolei Olam, Aaron, Ruvain, Boaz, and they were lacking what? They were lacking simcha. You have to have simcha in your avodas Hashem, and this is what we find when Chazal say, Boaz, Ruvain, and Aaron, they would have done more if they, but if they would have been aware of, of how significant that action was. What does that have to do with joy? If the Rebbeinu B'chai is bringing this in as an example, it's clearly significant. So we have confusion, Baruch Hashem. And confusion can also bring joy. Because we know when we get to a point where there's so many different questions, we must be getting closer to truth. Because when things are simple and superficial, you're probably still very far away from the kernel of Emes. The Baal Shem Tov, many uh, stories we have regarding his own personal Hanhaga and his interaction with Talmidim, with his Hasidim. It seems like he had a minig that he would randomly go over to a few Hasidim and take them on a walk or take them on a journey. They had no clue where they were going, but somehow there was a hidden, powerful message involved. So whenever the Baal Shem Tov would walk into a room of Hasidim and he would begin schmoozing and taking a few with him, there was always an excitement and an anticipation. I wonder where he's going to take them. What is he going to share with them? What revelation of Chachmah? So one time he takes a few Bachrim and they start traveling together and it was in the frozen winter and they're going closer to a lake, a lake that was frozen over and the young men, you know, they knew what was happening on the lake. You had boys and girls ice skating on the lake. And not only that, they were etching in the ice different symbols that were either uh, avodah zara or inappropriate. And they were nervous. The Baal Shem Tov gets close enough. His holy eyes are going to see the symbols they're etching in the ice. And then that would be terrible. We have to protect our Rebbe. So they try encouraging him to go in a different direction. Didn't work. He had his mindset, we're going to the lake together. So they kept on going, marching towards the lake. And now they're standing there together with their holy Rebbe, feeling embarrassed for him that he has to see this. And he turns to the Hasidim and he asks, do you know what they're doing? It's called ice skating. What are they etching into the, into the, the frozen water? symbols of, of Avodah Zarah, 
symbols of uh, things that are inappropriate. How were they able to do that? And they didn't quite understand the question, but the Mesorah, the way the story is told over, is that he really focused on this point. How were they able to etch these things on the ice? Why isn't it just water? Well, the water's frozen. And that was the point he was trying to make. Because the water is frozen, that's why they're able to etch a Vodazara on there. Meaning, when the chamimus, when the esh of the, of the neshama is frozen, when there's krirus, then anything could happen. There's a beautiful idea in the Nesiva Shalom. This is actually a letter that he writes on this subject that the, a lack of simcha doesn't just mean that one is depressed or there's an atzvus, but oftentimes a lack of simcha can be a numbness, a coldness. It's, it's a lave evan, my heart is stone. I don't really feel those feelings of life, the joy of existence. The Nesiva Shalom writes, Ki nishmas Yehudi hu olam hatanug. The neshama of a Jew is from the world of tanug, of pleasure. Umachapes tanugim. And we instinctually, we search for pleasure. More so, it sounds like, than other human beings. There's something about the neshama of a Jew that's, that's needing, that's craving tanug. tanug if we don't find that pleasure and that joy within the Vodas Hashem, nofil betanugim psulim asurim. It's almost a natural consequence that we're going to find it in other areas. Psulim v'asurim. V'omnam, the problem is, even if we spend years or decades of our lives pursuing tanugim in a world that's not, not where it's at, that will never bring a feeling of svia. That's not going to fill the neshama with the light and the radiance and the real spiritual oneg that it desires. And we're always left hungry. Ha'oyev mispar echad, he says the, the number one enemy when it comes to spirituality is ha'krirus b'hargoshos ha'tanug b'avodas Hashem, is the coldness, is the numbness where we don't feel the oneg, the pleasure, the geschmack, the enthusiasm in the Vodas Hashem. That is the number one enemy. This is what David HaMelech said, Nafshi cholas avasecha, my neshama is sick for your love. It doesn't mean, as some explain, that I have so much overwhelming love for you Hashem, it's as if I'm sick. But rather, on a deeper level, what it could mean is that I'm a chola because my natural state, what's indigenous to the soul of a Jew, is to feel that love and to feel that oneg. And when I don't, then nafshi chola savasecha. I'm a chola. I don't feel the ava. I'm living in a world of krirus. He says, in our time, betekufuseinu, hanisayun shalev ayin, this challenge of just not feeling it, not having that hargasha, not having that ava, that is our greatest challenge that we grapple with. Meaning, we might be able to get ourselves to do everything we need to be doing, 
but we're lacking the heart, we're lacking the neshama. Why was it when the Pasuk says, Ki lo mitzvosav, it seems pretty clear we were totally ignoring and neglecting and abandoning Judaism. And that's what led directly to the klolos, to the calamities, to the suffering that are spoken about in Kisavo and then Bechukosai. That was the direct cause of, of these particular Yisurim. What led to us abandoning the mitzvos? What was the cause before that? Because we were cold. Because we were lacking the joy. Because the water was frozen, that's how it was possible to etch on the ice pictures of Avodazara. Not that the lack of simcha would be the direct reason for these massive consequences. That would be a lack of yashros. We don't believe in a father in heaven who would say, you're trying your hardest, you're doing everything you can, but you're not really happy, and therefore, you're deserving of the tochacha. That's not the borei olam we believe in. Rather, the Pasuk is telling us, this is the sequence of events. What will lead directly to these, these yisurim is that we forget about the Torah entirely. What will lead to us forgetting about the Torah entirely? Because we were doing it, we were practicing, we were observing, but we didn't have that real sense of hargasha, of connection, of simcha, of ava. Once it's cold, it doesn't take that long to think to oneself, why am I doing this? And even if I could force myself to continue based on my loyalty, based on my uh, wanting to avoid feelings of guilt, knowing what my mother and father would say. But if that's my real push for continuing the Torah lifestyle, how many generations will that last? Not that many. So why is it that we don't find anywhere in Shas? The Gemara never says, the Beis Migdash was destroyed because of lack of Simcha. The answer is simple. That's not why the Chorban happened. All throughout Shas, when Chazal were addressing this question, they were tackling what was the direct cause. Not the Siba, not the Shorish, not the root of that cause. How do we understand the Rebbein of Bechaya? Why is he giving this example of if Boaz, if Aaron, if Reuven would have known how significant their action was, they would have done more. How is that an example of lacking simcha? And why is that the description of the simcha shel mitzvah that we're striving for? If you speak to someone, a good friend, or even if you've had the experience personally, when there is a real lack of joy, a lack of hargosha in life. Usually, that's accompanied with a feeling of being alone, of being isolated. 
it doesn't mean I actually have to be alone. I could have many, many people around me. I could be surrounded by a big, loving, caring family. I could have a spouse and children and parents who really are supportive. But if you dig deep, part of feeling so empty and so numb is that I feel alone, I feel isolated. When there's a real feeling of Kesher, when there's a real deep-rooted sense of connection, if I'm connecting with an idea, if I'm connecting with a person, usually we don't feel numb because the Hiskashrus, the Kesher itself, brings out the emotion. We're most alive when we're connected to something, when we have that sense of chevra, we have that sense of, of, of being biyachad. And when we're isolated, psychologically or emotionally, that's when we feel numb and cold, that's when the waters freeze over. In this same piece, the Nesiva Shalom, he says, don't make the mistake, don't think that what the Torah is asking from us is that we have to do mitzvahs, and every time we do a mitzvah, we always have to be joyous. We have to have a smile. Right? 6.40 in the morning, you're barely awake after learning an hour and a half of a morning kolel, third coffee, and you're making the bracha on tefillin. So if I'm not doing this, so does that mean, okay, I'm one step away from neglecting Torah and deserving calamity? I hope not. So the Nesiva Shalom says, being besimcha, while engaged in the Vodas Hashem, doesn't mean that we have to be joyous. Right? In Hebrew, we have two different words. There's sason and simcha. The Malbim in many places explains that Sason is more of that outer expression of real euphoria. That's Sason. You're happy. Simcha means there's a feeling of, of being content. Simcha eno kamosha rabim choshvim. Simcha is not defined as many people mistakenly think. Shezeshayich lematziv ruach tov that we equate simcha to being in a good mood. Simcha has nothing to do with being in a good mood. Ella, zehushita v'derech b'chayim. Simcha is a way we approach life. It's an outlook. It's a perspective. It's a perception of ourselves and what we're doing. It doesn't mean I have to be in a good mood all the time. That's not realistic. If a person's able to tap into a feeling and awareness of the hashkacha, of Hashem's presence in his or her life, in every moment, and everything that I'm experiencing, even when I fall, even when I make the wrong decisions, even when I feel that I am, I'm disconnected and I'm choosing not to become closer, but even in that moment of timtum v'tishtus ha-moach v'halev, the closing of the mind and the heart, gam margish ki nefesh, but I'm still able to believe and feel Hashem is with me even here and now and He's rooting for me. He's supporting me. He wants me to continue my vodas Hashem. Hashem is never giving up on me. 
Bein kach bein kach banim atem l'Hashem alokeichem. Whatever you do, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I'm still your father. I still love you more than anything you could ever imagine. And I'm with you every step of the way. Because the makor ha'atzvus, the source of feeling depressed or numb, the yisuri ha'nefesh, the pangs of the soul, the psychological anguish that we experience, hu hargoshes ha'bedidus be'es tzorah. These words are so powerful. Says the Nesiva Shalom, real atzvus, depression, hopelessness, a lack of feeling alive, is when I'm isolated and I'm alone during a difficult time. There might be people around me, but I don't feel the comfort, I don't feel the support, I don't feel their love. That's when I'm alone. The simcha, simcha shel mitzvah that we're striving for, that the Pasuk is telling us this is really the foundation for not just our own practice of Yiddishkeit, but our living of Yiddishkeit and our ability to transmit and, 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 and try to convey those feelings that we have to our children, it's only when there's a simcha shel mitzvah, not that I need to be in a good mood. I'm not always in a good mood and that's okay. But the simcha shel mitzvah is, I know you want my avoda. I know you're with me no matter where I've been, no matter where I am right now. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is with me. That's the Simcha Shel Mitzvah. Practically speaking, all right, how do we take this somewhat lofty idea and bring it into real life every day? So the Mishnah Bura tells us in Simon Hay, whenever we say a bracha, this is true obviously before Berchas uh, Hanenin, saying a bracha before benefiting from the world, but he writes, it's also true before a berchas ha-mitzvah. Asher kedishonu b'mitzvosah v'tzivonu l'hadlikner shel Shabbos. L'haniach tefillin. Whatever the, the bracha is I'm saying before doing a mitzvah. Why am I saying that? It's not just to focus us in mitzvah srichos kavana to get us in the right mindset to know what we're doing. That's obviously part of it. But the same way we make a bracha on a delicious piece of food, because we're saying, thank you, Hashem, for the opportunity to have this pleasure. That's the same thing we're thanking Hashem for when we say, Thank you, Hashem, for giving me the opportunity to connect with you through this particular mitzvah. That's simcha shel mitzvah. I don't have to be in a good mood but I'm thanking you for the opportunity to connect with you because I know you want my connection. You crave my connection, so to speak. We should be zocha, mirza Hashem, through trying to tap into these feelings, through having it in mind when we say a bracha of a kedishonu b'mitzvosav, to be able to grow and develop and cultivate these real powerful feelings and pass them on to the next generation.